Welcome to the Law Firm Growth Podcast, where we share the latest tips, tactics, and strategies for scaling your practice from the top experts in the world of growing law firms. Are you ready to take your practice to the next level? Let's get started. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Jan Roos, and I'm here with a very exciting guest in Rocco Coza of the Coza Law Group. Really excited to talk about some of this stuff. He's got some really interesting things going on running his business practice out of Pittsburgh. But just want to say first, thanks for coming on the podcast, Rocco. No, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Okay. And I also want to start it off with a very impressive statistic, which is your number two position on the law firm 500 2021, a 2,064% percentage growth over the last uh, three years. How are you still standing after all that? (laughs) You know, it's so funny about that. When I saw, you know, because there's the Inc. 500. And so, you know, a business coach I work with, he said, oh, you should try and get on one of those lists. I saw this law firm 500 list. And I said, oh, let me just submit all the stuff, hoping to make the list. Because I have no idea, right? Because I don't look at competitors. I don't look to the market to see I just kind of do my thing and we've grown that way. So when I got the email saying, oh, you made the list and I opened it and saw we're number two, like it blew my mind. I was hoping to just make the 500 list. So it was definitely exciting. And it's, again, like we have a practice. I love what we do. Our clients are amazing. So I don't really feel like it's hard. It's just... We found good opportunities through the pandemic. You know, we've kind of hit our stride. So, you know, I'm excited to, you know, go from 2,000 to 4,000% growth over the next couple of years. Yeah, that's awesome, man. And actually, I had no idea about that. You might be the only person that's accidentally yeah. made it to the top five that we've ever had on the show. So major kudos to that. But um, I appreciate I mean, that. Kind of going to that gap in the market too. It sounds like you really found a, a good niche for yourself. So let's talk a little bit more about like how you ended up finding your stride. Yeah, I mean, my background, right? I started in big law, then I went, I was in-house for 14 years, you know, running the legal department of a large IT company. I started my practice part-time when I was still in-house. It's just a way to help other entrepreneurs. So I started seeing this niche in the market for the small business space. They weren't getting the service they deserve at the price they could afford. So as I transitioned out of corporate America, I resigned from that position like mid-2018, really started full force into the practice really 2018, 2019. And when it was just me to start, you know, solo practitioner had an assistant. When the pandemic hit is when I really saw opportunity. I saw a lot of the big and mid-sized firms in my area that kind of go after the clients I go after really starting to play defense. Mm -hmm. They were letting go of associates, partners were, were hogging the work. You know, it was increasing the cost to clients. And I saw clients wanted a more efficient way to get things done. And I just, I went on the offense, you know, during the pandemic and we grew, you know, exponentially over the past two years. And we really caught, we don't really have an industry. I always say we're industry agnostic, but our sweet spot, I feel like happens to be in that one to 50 million revenue type companies. That's where I think we provide the most value. Yeah, that's awesome. And it's kind of interesting too, because like a lot of the people listening to this podcast are like, yeah, it wouldn't be so bad to own a one to $50 million company. But in the grand scheme of things, you know, having come from the corporate world too, like, you know, that's what most people would consider like an SMB, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah, yep. But that's, no, it's really interesting too, because it's like, you know, let's talk a little bit more about like playing offense too. And it's funny, I had this really great conversation uh, with a podcast guest whose name eludes me at the moment, but he was basically talking about how a lot of the big law firms and why they were particularly screwed during COVID is that 
they do their distributions at the end of the year. So they clear out exactly. their checking account. And then, you know, yep. we talk about this, they're looking to get in the black in March and they're toast. So yep. that might've been a huge factor for it, but how are you able to capitalize and, and, and win so much business during the uh, pandemic? So to your point, that's exactly what I know a lot of the people in my market, you know, that's how they play. I saw it as one, I kept my overhead really low, right? You know, I'm not in downtown Pittsburgh, so I don't need huge office space. My expenses to run the firm, even now with six employees, you know, I keep it relatively a small portion of our overall revenue. When I say I played offense, I put more effort into marketing at that point in time, like not paying for marketing, but just putting myself out there on social media, on LinkedIn, trying to make the connections I can make when people were really afraid to meet people, afraid to talk to people, were really afraid to develop new relationships because they didn't want to do it over Zoom or they didn't think they could. I just saw, you know, when people were kind of going in their shells, like I just kind of broke through and said, let me just put myself out there as much as possible, reached out to connections. And it really just kind of snowballed from there. There's really, there's no magic formula I had. It was just a lot of, you know, grinding it out really. So yeah, basically, so you're kind of networking at scale and maybe like leveraging some of those digital relationships. Okay, exactly. And I'm super curious too, because I think it's such an important thing to really be able to succeed in business law. Because like you got people that probably come to you for trademark or some small document for formation, probably up to guys who are on a super hefty retainer. How are you getting that foot in the door with some of these clients? I'm a relationship person. So, you know, I, you know, I did, and honestly, the, the TED talk I did tends to be a door opener. I did a TED talk on the power of kindness in business mm-hmm. and it was called the unbillable hour. So it tends to, and it's in my email signature and it's online and people, even over the past six months, I can't tell you how many people just watch that online or see it posted somewhere and reach out to me and just want to have a discussion. And then when I, they understand what we do and how we do it, that's how we get our foot in the door. It's really been just, you know, I've never focused on, you know, a, a lot of business lawyers focus on, you know, time and money, right? Okay, I got to charge for this consultation. I've always been, let me just see how I can help somebody. Let me meet with this person. I may not be able to do anything for them except connect them to someone else, but I've always been willing to give that time and go that extra mile. And just taking that little bit extra effort in developing that relationship in the beginning has allowed me to get in and work with some Fortune 100 companies as a small firm. Yeah, that's super interesting. And as far as like, you know, so some of those initial conversations don't even result in business for you. Sometimes you even refer that exactly. to someone else. So you're able to kind of, you know, if I'm, if I'm putting this, uh, the connecting the dots here, it's a completely no risk conversation in the beginning. Yes. And you're able to genuinely recommend your services when that's truly the best option for that client, right? Yeah. And it's really, I go into every meeting with not how can I help them with my law firm? What problem do they have and how can I help them solve it anyway with stuff we do, with people I know, with, you know, with other connections I have. And I just take, I just kind of, I always say I zoom out and look at the holistic and say, okay, what is their actual problem? Because sometimes I'll have clients that come to me and like, I can give you an example. We had a client come here. She was concerned about franchising and her business was growing and she was very frustrated. When I, when we sat in a meeting with her for an hour and a half, we realized that all she needed was an assistant, right? Like it had nothing to do with franchising. It had nothing to do with opening new locations. It had that she was just overwhelmed with stuff that she needed to find an assistant to kind of help her take her business to the next level. So it's, I just go into meetings like that, which most lawyers, at least in my practice, don't typically do. Mm -hmm. And it just turns into a better relationship in my opinion. 
Yeah, no, I think that's a great concept too. Like, I mean, this is something I've actually, so it's funny. We have a couple of um, guys in the sales team we're, we're kind of bringing up in the last couple of months too. And I always say like, it's super important because when you tell somebody that it's a no, when you mm-hmm. tell somebody that we should work together means that much more. And it's yeah. not anything that they know, but it's something that you know. And like how you come yeah. across is something that's like super important. But yeah, absolutely. I'd also bet though, like, you know, do you ever have situations where you might refer somebody outside of you and then they come back with a different referral or even that same person down the line? Yeah. I mean, I mean, we, you know, we don't take every client that comes in, right. We have, yeah. you know, we, we know what we do well and outside of that, we don't do it, but we build a good referral source. But I will tell you this, that I, you know, if you give me 20 people that come to me and say, I refer 10 of those people out, at least eight of them are coming back to us or something. That's super interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, when we, and we actually look at those statistics and really try and understand, you know, we, we track our referrals, we track the relationship. So I could tell, you know, my close rate when I get someone on the phone is 99%. Yeah. That's like, fantastic. it's just, it's about relationships in my mind. Yeah. And if we can drill down and get a little tactical for a little bit, yeah, I know a lot of people have such a hard time keeping track of these multiple relationships, but yeah. if you're able to like, you know, pull this, the, these kind of numbers and be able to have access to where people are kind of missing, yeah. like, how do you keep track of this? Do you got like, you know, CRM process in place. Like you guys do like a mailing list or like, what are your thoughts around uh, how do you kind of keep these people after you're doing the hard work of having these yep. like super intentional meetings in the first place? Yeah. I mean, so, so we do use a CRM system, you know, for, uh, for lawyers out there, we use Clio as our practice management software and our CRM software. So we track all of our leads through there, but then I also, you know, we have our mailing list. We try and have at least one to two touches with clients a month, mm. either through our newsletter. We also hold monthly events, right? We started doing monthly happy hours, monthly educational events, and just we invite our entire, you know, 400, you know, client base to those events. Now, we don't get all of them there, right? But it's we're very intentional with certain things. When we set up entities for clients, you know, we have a sequence they go through. So, okay. You know, at three months, we just check in. At six months, you know, hey, you know, what has changed in your business? At one year, here's some things you should think about. So we're constantly keeping people within a pipeline of, depending on the types of work we're doing for them. And then myself, what I typically do, you know, I, you know, I have my personal contacts and I typically try and meet with them either, when I say meet, it's either a phone call, an email, text message, or a face-to-face meeting at least once a month. Mm-hmm. You know, I have my core group, we'll say maybe there are a hundred people, but those are the ones that I just keep. And it's just, it's effort you have to put in, but it's the investment you're making in those relationships that matters. Yeah. And uh, kind of to that point, so another thing too, I want to ask about the, mm-hmm. the kind of ramp up in the last couple of years. So you went from one to, uh, so uh, if, if I'm understanding right, like heading yeah. into the pandemic, you were a solo shop, right? Yeah. Yep. And I had, a, I had an assistant. That was it. Yeah. So let's talk about how you ended up scaling up to the team you have. Like, you know, what were, what are your kind of priorities as far as the first people that you were trying or like, what, what kind of work were you trying to get off your plate first? And how has it kind of evolved to, to the position that you're at today and like staying in your kind mm-hmm. of, you know, zone of genius, so to speak? Yeah. <laughs> No, that's a good question. So, so I've done things the wrong, not the wrong way, a different way. I typically have hired in anticipation of growth. Mm-hmm. So I knew that there were a lot of, you know, so I have my handful of large clients that, you know, they want my expertise. You know, it's, it's high level contract negotiations, corporate governance, restructurings, that stuff. So they want me. There were just a lot of transactions that were coming in that I, I needed someone that I could trust to handle transactions, handle some of the, you know, the different types of contracts. So when I hired, you know, my first full-time resource, I didn't need that person yet, 
but I knew that once I did, I could take stuff off my plate and do more business development because my skill set's business development. Like I love to network and create relationships. So that's kind of how, and that's how I've scaled every position. Like I never, when we've hired all the lawyers here, it's never been because we needed them. It's because we knew we were going to need them. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of this intuitive hiring. And then it's, it's worked out every single time. Okay, you know, that's the, month, the month they hire, the revenue goes up 20% next month. Yeah. Well, it's interesting too. I've actually been doing a lot of thinking about this a lot recently because it's like, you know, it's kind of a dilemma. And I don't think that there's a clear answer in like just like the best rules of thumb in like the business community. Because like the truth is, you know, you're never going to nail it. You're either going to hire too late or you're going to hire too early. Of in course. Most instances. And, you know, I always kind of think of it sort of like a stair step approach where you got, you got to build capacity, you got to fill the capacity, you got to build the capacity. But yeah. I think like, you know, if, if I could speculate, I think it's probably a reason why it's worked for you is that you've never had to worry about where the work was going to come from for yeah. the next level. So you, you pretty much always been, and that's the thing too, because it's like, we may have done this, but yeah. like when people are sometimes afraid to hire and you hear these like super conservative, like, you know, Hey, have six months of the person's salary before you make the offer. But it's like, yeah. that's 20% might've been 20% of your calendar that you were yep. free to go talk to, you know, your power partners or whatever it is like immediately. Exactly. Right. So the capacity yeah. built itself. That's exactly what it does. I never thought, and maybe, you know, stupidly, I never thought about, oh, I should have six months of this person's salary. I'm just like, you know what? I'll figure it out. Yeah. I knew that if I had someone that could do some of the work that I shouldn't be doing, that I could take that time and either use it for higher billable clients or go out and develop more business. And that's exactly what happened. Then yeah. the last person we hired is handling litigation for us, which was a lot of the stuff I was referring out because we just didn't have the bandwidth to do it. Then we hired someone who has litigation experience. And now we keep all that business in-house. Yeah, so that's it's, awesome. It's, it's, yeah, it's, been, it's, it's definitely been, you know, I'm sure I've made mistakes along the way, but, you know, it's worked so far. Yeah. Well, this is interesting to teach you, like, you know, as far as just kind of return on investment and that kind of stuff too, like that litigation hire, if you were farming that out and getting 33%, yeah. you know, you're right. tripling that line of business in terms yep. of the revenue right away. Yep, like, exactly. Um, and I also want to just like, you know, for, for the listeners, just kind of thinking about these hiring questions too, just like one of the things I also want to point out just to just being a little bit meta is like rock. What I think is awesome is that, you know, you trusted yourself to have the juice to figure it out. Yeah. And I, yep. I think one of the things that stops people is they try to solve a problem that's coming down the line with the resources that they have today, where yes. it's kind of like twofold. It's like one, you're going to have more bandwidth with that hire. And the second thing is that it's like kind of, you know, this is a pattern I see all the time too. <laughs> we were talking about a little bit before with the uh, entrepreneur on fire and all thing, but like, it was just yeah. this pattern you hear in all these business podcasts where it's like, okay, I had a kid and I got my shit together for the yeah. lack of a better word. <laughs> it's right. the same thing with like, yeah. like, you know, you hire another employee, you see that person at the office every day, you're seeing yep. their training. You're like, I can't let this guy's gal starve. <laughs> like, it's like, you figure it out. Like that's, exactly. that's just kind of yeah. how it is, you know? That's a great analogy that I mean, that really is. Like that makes complete <laughs> that's really what it is it's not and i think you know i have a lot of friends that are you know that have their own firms and they just haven't grown and it's because they have that fear mindset right they're afraid i always say look if you're going to start your own firm you've got to have the the guts to do it because it is scary right i'm the last person to get paid like i have to make sure my team's taken care of but i also have trusted myself enough to know that i'll figure out like i've raised three kids and they're pretty decent human beings i figured that out you know so i'm pretty sure i can figure this out and it's just you know where, where I think most people, and if, if there's lawyers out there listening, what you have to do when you're kind of getting to that high, just make the decision. 
I mean, you got to have the right person, right? But I know so many people that go through the six month process of just questioning themselves, just do it. And then I guarantee you that that capacity by bringing that person on, you'll free up time and you'll start thinking completely differently. And I think, I think that's where a lot of lawyers get caught up. They're just like, I don't have the work to support it. I don't have the money to support it. It's like, just do it and watch what happens. Yeah. But it's a scary thing. You got to take the risk. Yeah. I mean, to your point too, though, it's like, you know, you didn't go from one to six overnight. It's like, no, no, you had the confidence to do that because of stuff that you'd done early in your life too. And you mentioned the kids thing, which is like a fantastic example, but like also the second hire was probably way easier than the first one. Yeah. I mean, and and it's, and now, you know, I've I've had to let someone go because they didn't fit because I'm a culture person, right? I look at it. I hire for culture first, culture and personality. So the law I can teach you, I can teach you how to practice law the way we do. It's not rocket science, right? but I can't teach you to be a good human being. Right. I can't teach you to have a personality. I can't teach you how to really care about a client. And that's what I look for in people. They've got to really care about what they're doing. They've got to have that motivation, that hustle, that grit, because we're building, I always say we're building a contrarian law firm. We're building something different. I want to buck the trends. Do I want to be a hundred person law firm? Cool. That'd be awesome. But I don't want to look like the hundred person law firm. Right. So to me, it's, it's that, that culture is what matters most. And finding that was, it gets easier because now I know exactly what that person should look like. Yeah. This is another thing I've been thinking about a lot yeah. in terms of how do you think about when you, when you're talking about people, like, you know, there's kind of the nature versus nurture debate. So how mm-hmm. much of the culture is the people that you're letting through the interview process and how much of that is what you guys are doing once they hit the firm in your opinion? Well, that's a good, that's a really good question. I would say the 50, almost probably 50, 50, right? Because I think. I can tell instinctively when I hire a person, they've got the right qualities. I know that being in this environment will sharpen those. Right. So it's, you know, and, and that's what's happened so far. Cause I know that if you're around me and you're around the environment I'm creating, like I want this to be a family. Like I want it to be an open door policy. It's not about, I don't know everything. Question me, criticize me. Like that's what I'm here for. Like we have to learn from one another and giving them the bandwidth to make their own decisions and to try certain things. And I think to answer the question is probably about 50, 50. Like I, I, they have those raw materials that get molded while they're in this environment. Yeah. So you don't necessarily need the right person on day one, but you got to see the potential by the time. Exactly. Yes, absolutely. Right. And as far as you making that decision, like, is it mostly an intuitive thing or do you have any special process that you build into, you know, how you guys are finding people to, to get the right kind of person running the first place? Yeah. It's intuitive, honestly. Like, I, I yeah. wish I could tell you I had this complex process and these <laughs> interview questions. Everybody that works for me, like, I knew in that interview just by the things they said, their body language, their demeanor, you know, the questions they asked that they were the right fit. Yeah. Well, it's interesting too. And I'll, I'll kind of like, you know, another kind of meta thing that I'll, I'll step out to. I think yeah. that's not unconnected with your, you know, way of getting business as well. It's like you have a lot of conversations with people. Yes, yeah. that's great from a business development perspective, but. You're also a student in human psychology on some level every time you enter a conversation with somebody. So it's like your pattern matching is better than the, the guy who's been you know writing appeals for the last 30 years. That, that is, I was a psychology major in undergrad. I almost went to, to graduate school for psychology. I'm a student of human nature. Like I read more books on personal development and psychology than I do law books. Yeah. Because, because what we do, yeah, you know, we're a business, you know, we're, I always say there's, there's lawyers that practice law and there's entrepreneurs that sell legal services. We are the latter. And to yeah. be an entrepreneur, very good when you have to understand people because everything is relationships. Right. 
let me hit you with a little speed round as far yeah. as like, you know, your favorite books or podcasts or anything like resources, whatever, like, what would you say, are, you know, your top three for somebody who's you in 2017, they want to scale up, they want to grow. What would you say are the things that you'd recommend the most for that person to be consuming from a content perspective? So if I would give you two books, absolutely. And then I'll give you one podcast. The two books are The Success Principles by Jack Canfield. I read it. It's a long book. I read it every year. I read it. He's a guy who wrote Chicken Soup for the Soul. Mm. I read it in my late 20s. It changed my life. Like completely just changed my life because of certain principles in that book. The second book is On Fire. I can't remember the author's name. Dan something. It was about his story about how he got burnt as a child and how he's just had this determination. It was just a motivational and inspiring story. I'm like, if this person can go through that and end up where they did, there's nothing I can't do. Mm-hmm. And then from a podcast perspective, I listen to a lot of different ones. I think there's one show, the, the Ed Milet show. Oh yeah. I love Ed Milet. Like there's just something like, I, it, not everything he says is like applicable to what we do. But there are some really good nuggets of just kind of taking responsibility for yourself. Because truly, to, to do what we do to build a practice, it's, it's on you. You got to take responsibility for it. And just having those things like that, that helped me the most, those things. Okay, that's awesome. What's well, the other thing too, like kind of a, a theme that we've kind of been arriving at, just like if you really trust yourself and you take care of bad stuff, a lot of the things can fall into place. Absolutely um, right. So that, that's awesome, Rocco. Getting towards the end of the top of the hour. So yeah. I want to thank you for coming on. As far as for anyone who wants to like, you know, get in touch or like, what's the best way to, to find out more about you? You can go to our law firm website. It's just cozalaw.com, C-O-Z-Z-A-L-A-W. I'm also pretty active on Instagram, which is just my name, the Rocco Coza, all one word. I actually started the TikTok page as well because I see opportunity there on social media. You can reach out to me there, LinkedIn. It's all my, just, just search my name and it's, you'll find me. <laughs> I wish I asked you about TikTok earlier. <laughs> the podcast, you might have to get a part two going. But uh, okay, awesome, man. So uh, super appreciate the time once again. Rocco, that was an awesome learning about your story. And um, for everybody else, I will see you guys next Tuesday at 8 a.m. Eastern on the Law Firm Growth Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. For show notes, free resources, and more, head on over to casefuel.com slash podcast. Looking forward to catching up on the next episode. 